Well, good morning once again, church. And we have we've been reading through the book of Ruth together over the past uh, several Sundays. And this story that we've been looking at, as you know, begins with tragedy. And despite the, the pain and the hardship that, that Naomi experiences in her life, uh, there are glimmers of light. We, we began to see that last week as uh, Naomi lost family but receives a devoted daughter-in-law who promises loyalty to Naomi, promises to stay by her side. Last week we saw that her, Naomi's wealthy relative, Boaz, shows uncommon kindness to Ruth and Naomi. He, just, he goes out of his way to provide food for these two destitute widows. And then at the end of chapter 2, um, we learn that this man, Boaz, is a particular kind of relative, and not just any old relative, but a kinsman redeemer, someone who has the responsibility to protect and care for members of the extended family, and, and especially those who are experiencing hardship. And that could look like a number of different things. It could look like buying back land that had been sold to pay a debt. It could look like redeeming a family member from debt bondage. In some cases, it involved marrying a childless widow and raising up an heir to preserve the family name and keep the family property within the family. And so at the end of the chapter, after Naomi uh, hears about the kindness Boaz has showed to Ruth and, and realizing that the man who has shown such kindness to her widowed daughter-in-law is a kinsman redeemer, it's like the wheels begin spinning in in Naomi's mind, and uh, she starts connecting some dots. He's a wealthy man. He's a relative. He clearly knows about our predicament and cares about it. Maybe I can uh, somehow orchestrate bringing these two together in marriage. And So that's where we pick up the story in chapter 3. I'm going to read the entire chapter for us. If you want to follow along, it's on pages 8 and 9 in your order of worship. Ruth chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, we read, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may go well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after 
young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter for settle the matter today. This is God's word. He's given it to us for our good. Uh, let me pray for us. Our God, as we just sang a, a moment ago, would you speak to us today through your word? Would you speak words of hope? Would you? Lead us to our Savior, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I watch a lot of NBA basketball, and every so often uh, during a timeout or some other pause in the game, the the cameras uh, turn to the stands, and they zoom in on on one couple enjoying the game. And next thing you know, the the guy is down on one knee with a, a ring in his hand proposing to his date. And, and most of the time in these scenarios, the woman says, yes, they kiss and hug and the, cheer, and the crowd cheers. But uh, one proposal I, I saw didn't go so well. And I, I don't know if the guy was just clueless and, and didn't realize his girlfriend wasn't ready to marry. Uh, whatever the case, after the guy knelt down and the woman realizes what's going on here, she, she tries to stop him. And she's shaking her head, no, no, and trying to get him back into the seat. And, and he's just kneeling there, waiting. And, and as time goes on, he begins to realize what's happening and that the smile on his face turns to confusion and then eventually to um, the pain of rejection. And he finally sits back down in his chair, dejected, while thousands of people just witnessed what took place. <laughs> uh, definition of an awkward moment, I, I think. I, I guess that's the risk you take, you know, proposing at a, at a sporting event like that. She could say no. And the, the circumstances here in Ruth chapter 3 are, are much different, but Naomi's plan is equally risky. All kinds of things could go wrong here in Ruth chapter 3. I mean, Naomi sends Ruth to Boaz in the middle of the night, and, and Ruth essentially proposes to this man. And there's no guarantee that it's going to end well. In fact, uh, you know, it, it could go very badly, and if Boaz doesn't respond well, um, these two widows are, are going to be in worse shape. And it, it's a challenging chapter. Maybe as I read it for you, you thought, what in the world are we supposed to take away from this? 
let me say right at the start, this is not a prescription for securing a spouse, okay? There should be a label right over this chapter, do not try this at home. This chapter is not about, you know, romantic advice. This is a story about hoping in God's loyal love. And so we're going to walk through the story, and then I want to reflect with you on hoping in God's loyal love. So first, let's look at this this story. And it, it comes to us in three parts. And at the very beginning, these opening verses, Naomi concocts this risky plan that you just heard about. And we'll see in a moment her her methods are flawed, I think, and um, perhaps even questionable, uh, uh, certainly unwise. But I want you to notice her motivation there in verse 1. Um, Naomi is concerned about Ruth. She's concerned about Ruth's uh, future. She says there, or we read there, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? You know, it's natural for a parent or, or a mother-in-law to, to want their children to be happy, right? To see their children be successful, maybe get married to a, a quality person and raise a happy family. And, and Naomi's no different. Uh, earlier in the book, in chapter 1, she had prayed for Ruth and, and Orpah that the Lord would provide rest for them in the home, uh, in the form of a husband who would provide and care for them. And now, here in this, this opening section of verse 1, uh, Ruth is beginning to think that Boaz, or Naomi is beginning to think that Boaz might be the answer to her prayers. And, and this is a really a significant change in Naomi. Um, up until now, Naomi's kind of been focused on her problems. I mean, understandably, she's grief-stricken. But now... She's beginning to hope again. She's, she's beginning to dream of a brighter future. Um, Boaz's kindness, which she interpreted as, as God's loyal love, has, has given her hope again. And she can see, maybe she's thinking the Lord has something good for us down the road. And so she lays out this plan for Ruth in verses 3 and 4. And um, she, she says, you know, Boaz is going to be threshing uh, He's going to be at the threshing floor in the evening, winnowing barley. Um, but before Ruth goes down to the threshing floor, she should bathe, uh, put on perfume, put on special clothes, you know, look her best. Um, might also signal that Ruth is a, a potential bride. And Naomi tells her, when you go to the threshing floor, you can't be seen. So you've got to go down there incognito. Don't let Boaz know you're there. Watch what he does. Watch where he goes. Um, when he lays down for the night, make sure you take note of, of that particular spot so you don't end up um, next to some other man. But note the place, and then after he lays down, go and lay next to him and uncover his feet and then wait for his response. This is really um, strange to us, but also just risky. I mean, the threshing floor, threshing floors at winnowing time were notorious for um, all kinds of seedy things going on. Prostitutes would go there in the evening offering their services to the men. Um, Ruth being there could be seen in that light. 
And if that happened, of course, rumors would spread quickly throughout the town. Um, The language Naomi uses about laying down and uncovering the man's feet, that language is full of innuendo. Um, If you're uncomfortable reading it, you you should be to some degree. And in some context, that language is is highly um, sexually charged language. Now, it's clear from the story, nothing immoral at all takes place this evening. But, but it, there was potential. And, and Boaz could misinterpret what, what Ruth is doing here. He could see her as just, you know, maybe she is that Moabite woman. Maybe she's just doing what Moabite women have done in Israel's history and, and playing the role of a prostitute. Maybe he would take advantage of her. Maybe... He would reject her and shame her before the community. And so uh, Naomi comes up with this plan, and, and no doubt she and Ruth were aware of the dangers, but Ruth, as we read, agrees to go, agrees to carry out the plan. And so in the, in the second scene, verses 6 to 15, Ruth goes out to the threshing floor, and it's probably dark already. Uh, nighttime, Ruth keeps herself hidden, she watches Boaz, we read in verses 6 and 7. Um, he's, he's happy. He's satisfied after celebrating a good day's work with the other men there at the threshing floor. And he, he lies down next to a, a pile of grain and goes to sleep. And so this is Ruth's moment. Now's the time to act. And she goes and lays next to him, uncovers his feet, and she waits. Now, I suspect Ruth did not sleep a wink that night. I mean, how could she? You know, the, the adrenaline, the, 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 her whole future is on the line here. And we read in verse 8 that Boaz wakes at midnight. Um, maybe the cool night air chilled his exposed feet. And he, and he turns over and he's, he's grasping for the covers and he discovers there's a woman laying next to him, laying at his feet. And, and you can imagine the scene. It's dark. He's not fully awake. Um, and he can't make out the face. And he demands to know who she is. And Ruth answers, verse 9, she says, I am Ruth, your servant. And then she says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So up till now, everything's been going according to plan, and then Ruth kind of goes off script here. Remember, Naomi just told her, go, uncover his feet, lay down, and wait. And here, Ruth makes this uh, bold request, and her words, you may remember, they, they echo Boaz's prayer in chapter 2, where um, they, Ruth and Boaz have this conversation in his field, and he prayed that the Lord, under whose wings she had taken refuge, would bless her. And so here, in effect, as Ruth says, spread your wings over your servant, she's, she's challenging Boaz to be the answer to his own prayer, to provide um, protection and care, to fulfill the role of, of kinsman redeemer. You know, it isn't immediately obvious to us, but this is a marriage proposal. Uh, Ruth just asks Boaz, marry me. And the word for wings there, it can also mean corners of a garment. And so here Ruth's saying, spread the corners of your garment over me. And that's a, a well-known idiom in that culture for marriage. 
in Ezekiel 16, the, we, we see that picture of uh, a man spreading his garments over a woman, and it's portraying the Lord's betrothal to Israel. It's sort of like um, giving an engagement ring in, in our culture. And so Ruth makes this daring proposal. I mean, just think about everything that could have gone wrong. Um, she's violating social custom here. You have a woman proposing to a man. Um, in our society, the custom is for a man to propose to a woman, but it's not unheard of for a woman to propose to a man. Um, in this society, never happens. A uh, woman proposing to a man, a younger person proposing to an older person, a field worker proposing to the landowner, and to top it off, a Moabite, if you remember what we've said about Moabites, Moabite, a Moabite woman proposing to an Israelite man. Um, I think, is Ruth just being reckless here? Um, is she, you know, um, just a rebel? Uh, I, I don't think so. I, she knows Boaz's character. She knows he's a good man. And I think she's hoping that he will live up to his character. And so she just, she goes for it. Marry me. And, and we're, we're, we're here waiting. Well, how's this going to turn out? What's Boaz going to say? And, and we see, he says yes. He says yes, verses 10 and 11. Um, may, he says, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, for you have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And so he, he says, Ruth has shown kindness. It's that word has said that we talked about last week, that covenant faithfulness. And he says, your, your first kindness, which is her devotion to Naomi, the, her commitment to Naomi. And he says, this, this second kindness is even greater. And Boaz doesn't mean the kindness she showed him, as if, you know, this, this attractive young woman chose, chooses to marry, you know, the older the older man, and he, he's just so, um, you know, humbled by that. He, he means she's shown kindness to Naomi. He says, you could have married anyone. You could have married a younger man. You could have married a rich man, a poor man, you know, for love, for money, for status, whatever the case. Instead, she chooses to marry a kinsman redeemer. She commits herself to raising up an heir for Elimelech's line on behalf of Naomi. And, and, Boaz says that act of covenant love toward Naomi is remarkable. And he promises, verse 11, to do everything she's asked. He says, uh, Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And so, you know, again, if you were wondering, did anything illicit happened that evening. Notice Boaz is commending her character. <laughs> You're a worthy woman. Earlier in the, in the story, Boaz was referred to as a worthy man. In fact, uh, that, that phrase, worthy woman, it, it's used in Proverbs 31 of the, the excellent wife. And just to, as a little aside, in the Hebrew Bible, the book of Ruth comes immediately after Proverbs. It's like the editors are saying, you know, here's what a worthy woman looks like, Ruth. But so Boaz, he, he says yes. He promises to do everything Ruth has asked. But there's a complication. Verse 12, something that, 
jeopardizes their desire to marry. He says there's a nearer kinsman redeemer. In other words, there's a closer relative. And and that relative's responsibility toward Naomi, toward Ruth, takes precedence over Boaz's. And he, he can't just um he can't just marry Ruth first. He would be stepping out of line. And then we read that Boaz intends to resolve this whole thing quickly. He tells Ruth, remain tonight. In the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. And so Ruth spends the night with Boaz at the threshing floor. Um, Again, nothing illicit took place. In fact, in the morning, before it's even light, Boaz shows concern for her reputation, and he he sends her back to Naomi. He gives her these six measures of barley, and she goes off back home to Naomi. And then in the the third and final scene, um, Ruth tells Naomi what happened. And you can imagine Ruth shows up at the at the house. It's probably still dark out, and and Naomi just wants to know what happened. How did it go? What did he say? And, and Ruth tells her, shows her the, the barley that she's brought back. And Naomi says, okay, uh, we've done all that we can do. Now we just have to wait. Now we just have to wait. It's up to Boaz to solve the problem. But notice in verse 17, there's a little, little detail there, very important. When Boaz gave Ruth the six measures of barley, uh, Ruth says he told her, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And you remember Naomi's lament in chapter 1, the Lord has left me empty. And now uh, she's not so empty anymore. Uh, That emptiness is giving way to fullness. The the Lord is filling her life with his loyal love. And in this case, through Boaz's kindness to her and to Ruth. And so we, we get this Strange story in Ruth chapter 3. Um, in many ways, the, the book of Ruth is, is a charming love story. I mean, you can't help but be moved by the, the drama of Boaz and, and Ruth's relationship and just the, the kindness and compassion he shows to her. But the real love story in the book of Ruth is, is not between Boaz and, and Ruth. It's the story of God's loyal love for his people. And, and we've, we've seen this. We've, we've been tracing this through the story of, of God working behind the scenes, orchestrating events, demonstrating loyal love. And, and God's loyal love to his people, his hesed, that word we've talked about, it rewrites the story for each of the characters in this book, and especially Naomi. Especially Naomi. You know, we, we tend to focus on Ruth since the book is named Ruth and she is an important character, but, but you think about Naomi and the, the story she told about her life when back in chapter one, that my life is empty. My life is full of bitterness and, and this bitter providence that I've experienced, it, it, it's doomed me to perpetual misery. And, and we tend to do this, don't we? Uh, you know, when life is difficult, do, we become fortune tellers. I, I will never be happy again, 
I've lost too much. Um, it's only going to get worse. Um, I will always feel this way. The darkness will never lift. We become fortune tellers like Naomi here, looking, out, looking ahead and saying it's nothing but, but doom and gloom. Do you ever tell yourself these kinds of stories? You know, in our, in our pain, this is, this is how we see the future. And this is where Naomi was at the beginning, mired in despair. But something's different about her in chapter 3. I mean, I, I pointed out she's, she's dreaming. She, she can see a future for Ruth and herself, one that is not all darkness. And we can fault her for, for the plan. You know, uh, it certainly wasn't the wisest course of action, but despite that, we, we should see what, what's motivating that plan. It's, it's renewed hope. Renewed hope. Hopeless people do not make plans for the future. And what changed for Naomi? How did she go from empty and despairing to hoping? And it, you know the answer. We've, we've looked at it. That it's this fresh recognition of God's loyal love. Uh, it, it's this fresh recognition that God's faithful covenant love has never turned away from her. You know, despite her family's unfaithfulness, fleeing the land of promise, her, her sons marrying outside of the covenant community, despite all that, God's faithful love pursued her. He, he never stopped showing her faithful love. I mean, you, he provides Ruth. He provides Boaz to rescue the women from starvation. Here in, in chapter 3, Boaz is eager to fulfill his role as kinsman redeemer and it's like Naomi starts connecting the dots and seeing that, that God is showing her loyal love and her hope is rekindled. That's why she sends Ruth on this risky mission. She had caught glimpses of God's loyal love over the previous weeks and, and she trusted that God would do good to her again. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, if I had a Boaz, if I had a Ruth... Um, I, I could hope in God's faithful love. You know, maybe I could imagine a future with some glimmers of light in it. Uh, a few years ago, Stephanie put a yellow sticky note on the wall in our kitchen. And I, and I told myself, just a side note, I told myself no emotionally, emotional personal stories this week. So don't, don't worry. Stephanie put a yellow sticky note on the wall in our kitchen, and, it, and she wrote on it a, a paraphrase of something Tim Keller uh, said about hope. And, and this is what she wrote. If, if Jesus really rose from the dead, and he did, everything's going to be okay. If Jesus really rose from the dead, then everything is going to be okay. Finally, one day, everything will be okay. And church, as you, you sit here, you need to realize if you belong to Christ, this is your hope. This is your trust that God's loyal love will never turn away from you. You, you have a Savior who is risen and reigning for you today. That's your assurance. That's your guarantee of God's love, that it will never 
fail you, your, your risen Savior. Your story is now caught up in his story and everything has changed. And there, there's something important we need to understand about hope. Um, hope is, is not just this, this feeling that kind of just happens to you. You know, you're, you're sitting in the darkness and then you get zapped with hope and, and now you can smile. Hope is something we can cultivate. Michael Lyons wrote that hope is the practice of believing God's loyal love as true for my situation right now and in the future. It's, a, it's the practice of believing God's loyal love, His faithful covenant love, as true for my situation now and in the future. It's a practice. It's a practice. And one way that can look is, is telling a new story about our future. You know, replacing those, those narratives of despair with, with a narrative of hope. You know, because I belong to Christ, because He's risen and reigning, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Uh, because of Jesus, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. In, in Jesus, this is how we see our future. In Jesus, God's mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And so we look at the future and we can say, great is your faithfulness, Lord. Hope is a, a practice. It's, it's something we can cultivate. And so I, I want to invite you this week, will, will you practice hope? Will you cultivate this, this trust that because you belong to Christ, because he has died and rose from the dead, that goodness and mercy will be your portion now and in time to come? Let me pray for us. Our God, you indeed are all our hope, all our confidence and trust for the future rest in you and in your Son who rose victoriously from the grave. And so we ask that today, this week, in the months to come, that you would renew and rekindle our hope. Would you strengthen our confidence in your loyal, steadfast, never-ending love. It's through Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.